Please stand for the reading of the word. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, verse number nine will be our primary focus today, but hear the reading. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we look at verse 9, beatitude, blessed, felicitous, happy, well-pleased are those who are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Two key words in this passage, peacemakers and sons of God. The peacemakers are those who follow, pursue, and establish peace. This is the sole use of this word anywhere in Scripture. It's not used anywhere in the Old Testament, nor anywhere else in the New Testament. This word peacemaker. In order to understand what it means to be the sons of God, we have to remember a few things, and then we can go from there. Scripture says that those who are peacemakers, whatever that is, are the ones that will be called the sons of God. In other words, they will be like their father. You'll be able to see the genetic code in them. They will be doing those things that their father does. Now, the Bible gives us several senses in which we are the sons of God. In the first instance, we are sons of God by creation. Genesis 2. In that sense, all human beings are the children of God. By creation, God took Adam from the dust, molded him. He was thoroughly physical, thoroughly of the earth, earthy, thoroughly of human stock and standard, and stuff. Dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. But God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And in doing this, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And he did that. He created 
them. Male and female created He them. So there's a sense in which we are, as Paul says, and as even most pagan religions will tell us, we are in that sense the offspring of God, the sons of God. We are God's sons by creation. But I think the designation here where it says they shall be called or they shall be accounted, they shall be reckoned the sons of God, is that there's something else to it beyond that. We are children of God or sons of God by new creation. John 3 and 1 John 3. You must be born again. We're born of the Spirit of God. Just like God took that lump of clay and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul physically, so spiritually God takes the dead lump and breathed into our nostrils by His Holy Spirit in a marvelous work of regeneration, in a marvelous work of recreation. And now we are the regenerate sons of God. And as we've mentioned, that's who this passage is directed to by and large, are the people who are the born-again, regenerated sons of God. But then there's another sense, and that's the sense of adoption. We are adopted. This is the, the legal, forensic type of understanding of our sonship. It has to do with the heir to the heritage, the heir that it belongs. And Paul fleshes this out for us in Romans, principally in chapter 8 and other places. So God is our Father. We are His sons. But in order to be designated that special peacemaker designation, We've got to take a look at what we need to be doing. And basically, we take a look at our Father. What did our Father do? Our Father is a peacemaker. John Broadus says, There is no more godlike work on earth than being a peacemaker. That's what God had to do from the very start. After mankind sinned, God had to start a work of being a peacemaker. There was an alienation. There was a separation. There was a parting. There was an enmity and a hostility that existed between God the Father and humanity. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's those that are far from God and He must bring them back to Himself. So the Lord began a work that is the work of reconciliation, peacemaking, bringing the two that are at enmity and hostile, bringing them into one, an atonement. Seventy, over 70 times in the Old Testament, there is a word used that refers to one of the sacrifices. It was called the Salem. Shalom. Peace. It was the Salem. The Salem was the peace offering. And it was an offering that was quite expensive, but quite important. And we find it mentioned, and God tells him how to do it in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and he goes all through the Old Testament. You'll find from time to time that peace offerings are made. 
And a peace offering has kind of in the middle of it, you can kind of always remember this, it means appeasement. It is to placate the wrath of the parties. It is to appease the parties. It is to bring them together. There's a reconciliation. God reconciled to man in the fact that he reconciles an irreconcilable man. It's man that must change. It is we who have fallen short. We are the ones that must be made new. God is God. He changes not. He has no reason in this relationship to be reconciled in and of himself. He reconciles us. And the imperative from Scripture is, be ye reconciled to God. And that's what the peace offering was all about. The peace offering was a reconciliation. It was an act of worship. It was an act of appeasement. And it involved, as I said, it was expensive. It involved two lambs without spot, without blemish, firstling of the flock, etc., etc. You know the standard for the sacrifice of the Old Testament it had to be perfect. Interesting, it's two lambs. Passover was one lamb. It's two lambs. There's some real heavy-duty work to be done in reconciliation. And man has to be there ready and open for God to do it. And the bended knee and the bowed head and the slaughter of the animal was man's way to come to God and see if there might not be a reconciliation. God commanded him to be approach, himself to be approached that way. A bullock. That's quite a sacrifice in an agrarian economy. You go out here to any Angus breeder in Texas and ask them to surrender their best bull. They may or may not want to do that. But that's what God called for. A bullock. Or even a ram, which is the chief of all of those sheep and goat species. And the reason it's an expensive offering is it's precious. There's absolutely nothing more important than a reconciliation, a peace to be made between God and His people. And any mediator work between God and man has been fulfilled. We see a massive amount of prophecy and shadows and types and teaching and pictures and images of all of this in the Old Testament, but... We see this work of peace, of peacemaking, is really the sovereign work of the Lord. And He promises it in who He will send. Let me read a passage of Scripture that is most familiar to you. In fact, I hesitate to even read it. It's so familiar, but, you know, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to the language of what we celebrate usually around the Advent season. For unto us a child is born. There's the human side of Jesus. A little child is born. Unto us a son is given. The exalted son of God. There's the deity of Christ right there. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. That's a title. That's David's son. David's great son was Solomon. 
That's what his name means. Shalom, Solomon. He's a man of peace. David was a man of war. But because he was a man of peace, God assigned Solomon the sacred duty and, and, and privilege of building the temple, the place where God would meet with man, where there would be reconciliation, where there would be peace, where there would be meeting, when all the enmity would be put aside and they would become his very people. And so David's son is the candidate to do this work of reconciliation and peacemaking. And Christ is the one that fulfilled that. And so Christ is prophesied here to be called the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. The whole point of the government, the authority, the rule, the reign of Christ in His kingdom is to establish that peace and to keep it. A peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And that's who Christ is to us. Another prophet prophesying around about the same time in Israel that uh, had a passage similar to this is another passage we consider often at Advent season. But you, O Bethlehem, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be a ruler in Israel whose origin is from old, from ancient days. There we have the eternality of Christ from old. He is co-eternal with the Father. He was with the Father in the beginning. But we also see His incarnation, His coming to earth, His coming to live in a tent of flesh. One more time, God is going to take a lump and infuse his breath, his spirit into it as he did in Adam. In the incarnation, that's what happened. God takes human flesh and hovers over by the Holy Spirit. And what's conceived in Mary is the very spirit, the very breath, the very word of God. And so that's the prophecy. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is to labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Here is the birth of Christ, the incarnation. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Don't miss that. He shall stand. Anastasis, stand up, be raised. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord God, they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And that's precisely what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says Christ is our peace. He's our peace offering. He's the one that makes peace. So the coming of the Prince of Peace is the one that comes to make this breach between God and humanity close, disappear, heal. And that's what God has done for us. God is the ultimate, primary, eternal 
peacemaker. If you do not know the peace of the Lord this morning, it is a time for you to know that. The Bible says the wicked are like the troubled sea. They cannot rest. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. God wants you. He calls you. He says to you, seek me while I may be found. Call upon me while I am near. He's broken down the middle wall of partition. He has made peace for us. And He calls upon us to do just that. And having come by faith to the Savior who was a blood-shedding, peace-offering to God on our behalf, to thus remove that which separates us. The Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, neither is His ear heavy that He cannot hear. Your sins have separated between you and your God, and your iniquity has hid His face from you, and He will not hear. If you do not have that peace this morning, it's because of your sin. You must repent, abandon your sin, flee to Him, and call upon Him. And as we've tried to indicate, He will give that peace. Thou will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Thee, because He trusts in Thee. That's what we're asking you to do this morning, is to, is to trust the Lord. Let me make one practical note. And um, if I have a moment, I'll read one more scripture. I mentioned that Broadus had said that peacemaking, there's no more godlike work on earth than being a peacemaker. What is the role of a peacemaker in our society? As we operate and live our lives and seek to be peacemakers as God has called us to be, Making peace involves sacrifice. It's a removal of wrath, hatred, and strife between parties. You think you want to get in the middle of a fight? You think you want to get involved? Peacemaking requires that. But when it does, it will require you to endure. By the way, I got this all out of Calvin. <laughs> it's just He just listed it out there. You can just read it. Endure indignity, to hear and tolerate reproach. In fact, I like the way he said it. He says, you will hear grievous complaints from both sides in a peacemaking enterprise. You will be hated. You will be mistreated by both sides, both parties. But we have a absolute duty to advocate for truth, justice, and mercy in our efforts as peacemakers. Broadus in his remarks go on to say that you must be impartial, loving, tactful, selfless, and exercise an enormous amount of self-control. How will we do? Well, the good news is God calls us to do everything that we're supposed to do. 
The fact is, we usually don't do it too well. Full of imperfections and failing and even mixed and mingled with motives and sins. So we have the assurance that God is going to take everything and make it just right. And as Robbie prayed in his prayer just a few minutes ago, it's not as it used to be, and it's not as it will be. Let me read just one very, very interesting passage out of the, the Old Testament to conclude. And there are many passages in the Old Testament that talk about peace and the shalom that will be upon the earth with the uh, animals, the wild animals, and the fierce animals lying down with the domestic animals. And there'll be nobody hurting and destroying in all of God's mountain and, and over and over and over in the books. But here's an interesting one, and I like the way the Lord phrases it. Let me close with this. Therefore, this is at Ezekiel, by the way, Ezekiel 34. Therefore, says the Lord, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. I had a, wish I had time to talk about that. What did Ron preach on? He preached on fat sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all with the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. This is the, the hustle and the tussle and the friction and all of the hostility that is between the sheep. Peacemaking is to be done within the house of the Lord. True. And the Lord says, one of these days, I'm going to settle all these disputes. I'm going to recognize this. I'm going to bring to judgment. And I'm going to judge between this sheep and that sheep. He says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, Christ, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now listen to this. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the places all around my hill a blessing and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke. When I deliver them from the hand of those who have enslaved them. They shall no more be prey in the nations. Nor shall the beast of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely. And by the way, shalom means well-being, prosperity, safety, dwelling in, uh, in peace. That's what the word shalom means. I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they may no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. Then they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And see if you hear the voice of the Savior saying, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me.